Welcome to the ABHA Listen and Learn Podcast, where we discuss the latest issues related to hearing and balance healthcare. And now, here are your hosts, Dr. Dana Day and Dr. Susan Schmidt. Hello, I'm Dr. Dana Day. And I am Dr. Susan Schmidt, and welcome to the ABHA Listen and Learn Podcast, hosted by Arizona Balance and Hearing. This is where we discuss all the latest and all of the greatest advances in testing and treatment of all hearing and balance issues. As one of our core values, and one Dr. Schmidt and I take very seriously, the education of both ourselves and mostly of our patients, that is why we are here today. And to that end, if anyone who is listening has any specific questions you would like answered on this podcast, please go to questions at arizonabalance.com. Again, that's questions at arizonabalance.com. And we will be sure to answer them in one of our upcoming podcasts. Also, don't forget to click subscribe so you don't miss any of our future episodes. Our last episode, we focused on concussion from the evaluation side. And this episode, I want to focus on the emotional side of concussion And to that end, I have my dear friend and colleague, Dr. Beth Sikora, here with us today. Dr. Sikora has been in practice as a psychotherapist for the past 25 plus years. She holds a Master of Professional Counseling from Ottawa University, as well as a Certificate in Family Counseling. In addition, she holds a PhD in Clinical Counseling from Capella University. During her time at Capella, she furthered her inquiry into adults traumatized as children and began studying more about traumatic brain injury and the impact on the functioning of individuals as a result of brain injury. Dr. Sikora had already begun to understand traumatic brain injury in her work with children and adolescents who had been traumatized. But now she began understanding more about the impact of brain injury on adults. In her work over the past 10 years, Dr. Sikora has come to specialize in working with adults who have both acquired and traumatic brain injury. Her subspecialty is the high-functioning adult who has come to find themselves in difficult career and family situations and is looking for more than standard care. She works hard alongside other professionals such as audiologists, neurologists, speech therapists, neurooptometrists, and others to maximize the improvement in the individual client's life, getting them back as far as possible to returning to work that is meaningful and long-lasting. In addition, she works with them to improve any anxiety, mood, or post-traumatic impact her clients have because of their experiences. She is a well-known clinician in town for this population and receives referrals from many sources for head injury care in Phoenix and the surrounding areas. A sought-after educator as well as a therapist, Dr. Sikora enjoys her work with clients and colleagues alike. Welcome, Dr. Sikora. It's great to have you with us today. Thank you, Dana. (laughs) I've been looking forward to this morning and being able to present some of the ideas I know we both share. 
Great. Well, I'm very excited to have you here with us today. So um, you and I have worked together for some time now on mutual patients. Um, if you don't mind, uh, tell our listeners what is your area of expertise that uh, in the area of concussion? How do you approach it that's different maybe than other colleagues? That's a great question, Dana. As I've thought about it over time and the way we try to explain it to a client who may call is that it's important to me that we are looking at all of the different issues that come up as a result of either an acquired or a traumatic brain injury. So while they may be referred only for depression, which is the most common reason they are referred to me by their neurologist, what I know is that they have likely also got organizational planning trauma at work because they can no longer do their jobs as effectively. They may have post-traumatic stress if it was some kind of accident or another kind of incident such as domestic violence. And then they have likely at least one other subtle, what I call a subtle injury, although it's really more subtle symptoms that are missed. And so I also really try and evaluate and get them to appropriate care such as that that you provide in your office and Susan provides, because it's the auditory that if we can't process what is coming at us, I don't think most people will make the full recovery they need. So um, so you work with um, patients that have internal struggles um, that require special tools to move them forward to heal. Um, so this is kind of a, a similar thing. Um, to the tinnitus patients that we see um, here at Arizona Balance and Hearing. Um, so when I see a tinnitus patient, they're usually struggling with um, some anxiety or depression component as, as well as that internal sound that, that they also need the tools and strategies to, to move forward. Um, so this is an interesting parallel between the two professions. Absolutely. Um, what would you say is the has been your most challenging part of your work during the 20 plus months of COVID? You know, that's that's interesting and it it's given me pause to think um, over the last few months. Initially, what I saw was extreme levels of anxiety and that was occurring in all of my clients, particularly in in my head injury clients because they couldn't always access the level of care they needed, such as the speech therapy or the auditory processing therapy or other things that needed to be spaced out so much more in order to keep all of the patients and the staff safe. At this point, what I'm seeing, and over the past six to 12 months, has been a lot of learned helplessness. and. I'm not sure if you're seeing an increase in that as well, but what I'm seeing is because the numbers have kept going up and down and people haven't seen, you know, masking isn't always effective to prevent COVID and, and the vaccines aren't always effective, they've seemingly given up in some cases. And so it's either I can do anything 
or more likely in the cases I'm seeing, I can't do anything, so I isolate, I don't even try anymore to get to the therapies, that kind of thing. And I haven't seen as much learned helplessness in the past. Wow, that that is so true. Um, uh, Susan and I have talked about this before in that um, with uh, some of our patients, well, uh, many of our patients that were coming in um, after the lockdown. So everybody locked down, but certain ones would come in. We, we didn't close, so they would still come into our office. Um, but after it was lifted and we got this wave, and the doctors were back in their offices, so we got this wave of referrals, we noticed just what you said, that the, the level of anxiety. So we spent probably the first 20, 30 minutes just getting them calmed down in the office. And that was something that we noticed after uh, patients started coming back, being referred from their physician versus, you know, uh, themselves or um, the ERs or that type of thing. It, that's, so that's really interesting. It is. And I, it makes me wonder, um, you know, we haven't been through this type of pandemic before in our lifetimes, not to this extreme. And so people didn't have tools. And you and I spend more time, and Susan, spend time with our patients than the neurologists do or the others do, which makes me think we're the ones who were hearing it um, because we actually took the time to listen and had the time to listen. Mm -hmm. Definitely, definitely. Um, you know, even, you know, 20 months ago, it was just, um, you know, somebody coming in and, and, you know, whether they were here for dizziness or tinnitus, um, you know, the, the first part of the appointment was kind of figuring out, okay, what is the, what are the underlying factors going on here? There was multiple usually. Um, and then after the appointment, okay, so so here are the results. And here we have to, you know, counsel. We have to kind of bring you down and, and go, okay, so, um, you know, you, you have this issue, but also you have um, other uh, psychological issues like anxiety or things like that that are um, underlying um, what's going on with you as well. Right. And I think, um, and Dr. Sikor, you may comment on this as well. I think also, you know, as you mentioned, um, they didn't have, our, some of our patients did have not had access to ongoing care during this time. And so they isolate at home, as you mentioned, and then they sit there and they think about their symptoms, the tinnitus gets louder or it changes or the dizziness is worse or, um, you know, they can't work in front of the computer after, you know, six hours when they used to be able to go to work, but they didn't realize they were getting up and moving and talking and all this type of thing. And, and um, so that anxiety level is, is shot through the roof. But I, I think just the idea of telling people, you know, this is what we found, and this is why you're feeling like you are. Um, we've always had those people that tear up because, oh, you found something, and you believe me, and it's, you know, all that mm -hmm. type of thing. And um, But it's almost every patient now that 
that has gone out there that is coming in now that has been struggling um, that are just so relieved if we find something that we can help them with. Are you finding the same thing in your practice? I'm finding the same thing. And I think many of them just haven't heard that maybe there is something else they could help. They've been told more, you can only recover so far. And then when they've um, continued to just think on it and think on it and think on it at home, they just get more hopeless. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, when they finally hear that maybe there's something that could be done, I think more of them are open to trying some of it. Um, Although I still find some reticence not as much as I did a year ago, mm-hmm. but more, still more reticence to go to another practitioner's office. And there's still that fear of I could get sick. And, mm-hmm. and I think that is partially because I'm dealing with a lot of anxiety disorders. Mm-hmm. And so it may be more, more apparent to them on a regular basis than maybe to somebody with less anxiety. But, you know, even as numbers went up, I started seeing people less willing to go for outside care. Mm -hmm. Yes. Yeah, we've we've noticed that as well. Mm -hmm. So going back to um, what we're talking about today, the concussion um, syndrome and um, the anxiety and problems that go along with that. Um, But with the post-concussion syndrome, do you see any patterns that could suggest that a person might need to seek out help? Certainly there are patterns. Um, Probably one of the first ones would be confusion. People are confused, rightly so, because they can't fully get their hands around what's happened to me. They know they're not right, quote unquote, (laughs) Mm -hmm. but they can't verbalize it. So oftentimes I think people need checklists and that helps them see where, where they maybe need some help and how to work with someone to find the different types of help. So, and second, moving beyond it's, it's an emotional issue or it's just depression. Um, Mm -hmm. We know that underlying a lot of the concussive depression is a stark reality they can't operate as well. And oftentimes I do believe what, what people need words for is, for example, on a recent referral to you, Susan, it took a year for me to understand she had tinnitus. Mm. And normally that's not something I miss. Right. (laughs) (laughs) No, no listener. She does not miss these things. (laughs) (laughs) But in, in her case, there were so many layers of what had happened that this was the one she had just pushed backward. she was told she'd have to live with it. And what I didn't know is she was told that early on in another state. So 
-hmm. when you're told that people people believe their providers and i'm not saying they're wrong to i think that the providers particularly when when they're not specialists don't know that that doesn't necessarily have to remain at the same level that there's help available for it so i really believe that oftentimes when a person's feeling confused they know there's a lot going on that but they can't understand it that's probably a top reason to go find somebody who really specializes in concussive issues um frustration with where they are problems in their performance at work those are other major issues that bring people for to care because they've either returned to work and are working and performing at a substandard level to what they had previously done or they're trying to hide that and their supervisors may not have caught on to it yet and but internally they realize they can't do their job as they did before and then that immobilization that they get of the fear so those are the things i see in my clients when they come in to see me is they're immobilized they may be depressed they may be anxious but it's because they need a space to talk to sort out what's what's really going on that maybe there's a specialist who could help them with it and that's not to say i don't work with them on the depression or the anxiety but i can't help them very much with the tinnitus i can't help them if they have an auditory processing issue but I know someone who can, mm-hmm. and that frequently gives them enough hope to keep going. Yeah. And what would you say, um, that is the patient themselves, but for the listeners out there that may be a family member or a friend or a colleague or a coworker um, of someone who has sustained a traumatic brain injury or concussion, um, what would you say, because to them, their loved one or their colleague looks normal. So why can't they, you know, attend the meeting and follow, you know, five conversations at the same time? Right. Um, yeah, it's that that invisible injury, isn't it? Correct, um, correct. Yeah. Um, I think looking for where are they not operating as well? Okay, so maybe they can't attend that meeting, but they look fine. Mm -hmm. Then what is it possibly that they need to go tell their doctor? Maybe a a colleague or a loved one could say to them, you know, it seems as though you're having difficulty in the meetings. How can I help? Or do you know if there's a way I can help? It opens a discussion up. And people feel so isolated in their symptom and feel that no one understands. And they don't. I mean, nobody can fully understand this mm-hmm. unless they're going through it. But I think if we can open up discussion space, it allows them to even begin to get an idea of, well, I can't organize my work anymore. I, I can't keep up with the same amount of work as I used to. And those types of issues when discussed with a neurologist sometimes will lead to an appropriate referral Mm -hmm. 
to get them moving. And if they still have their neurologist, or if they didn't, maybe they need to find one or find, you know, but, but at least has something to begin searching for. Right, right. And then, you know, you and I have run into this um, several times, and that is patients that have been cleared to return to work, and they're not ready to go back. And kind of that struggle with, um, you know, because they've been told this, their employer had been told this, um, you know, whether it be workman's comp or a legal issue have been told that they can go back to work and they go back to work and they are just struggling so hard. You know, maybe they are able to complete the work, but it takes them 10 hours where it used to take them eight hours or something to that, you know, they go in on the Mm -hmm. weekends or they're working late at night and they're just exhausted. And, um, and then, you know, sometimes as we have, you and I have spoken Mm -hmm. numerous times, sometimes they get to us, but by now they're, you know, one and two years down the road or even six months and we're kind of backpedaling. Um, What can we do just to kind of let, you know, our patients know, our clients know, our referring physicians know, um, you know, maybe you can, maybe they're not ready to go back to work or maybe they have gone back to work, but they need accommodations or something, you know, is there anything that you think that we could do as professionals to, to help these patients prior to just them literally failing in their return to work situation? I do. I, at least what I've found, and I'd be interested on, on your thoughts on this as well. What I found is returning to work very gradually, much more gradually than a medical professional will typically release them. So, for example, releasing them for two hours of work three days a week Mm -hmm. so that we can continue the therapies on the side, but also so that they can slowly see what can they actually do and where are the problems we've missed or that they've missed that they needed assistance in. What I found is if we do it that way, and then the, you know, just very, very slowly work them up. They're generally more successful. Mm-hmm. And we've been, because we've been able to identify problem places as we've gone. We haven't just dumped them in the deep end of the pool and said swim. Yeah. Oh, I love that. And love that <laughs> analogy. Yeah. You know, yeah. We're, we're trying to give them, you know, okay, well, let's start with a float. Mm-hmm. And then let's see how you, oh, you get really dizzy on the float. Well, maybe <laughs> we need to get you to someone to help with that. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe there's a vestibular issue that mm-hmm. just got missed or that and they did better with, but maybe another form of therapy set them backward. Mm-hmm. So in doing the very gradual return to work while somebody's measuring it, and really taking the time to ask them about it beyond just, I'm tired, because I know they're tired. They're going to be. Their whole system is having to work so much harder. Mm-hmm. But how 
how can we help make all of this a little bit more doable? What tools do I need to find an OT who will go into, or an occupational therapist who will go into the workplace with you and help you figure out how to organize this and organize your time? Maybe that's what's needed. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think that would give, um, yeah, each patient um, little wins along the way, right? Instead Mm of um, just, you know, going back and be like, oh my goodness, why can I not do this? Um, What's going on? And then, you know, continuing that confusion, if if they go a little bit at a time, that makes sense. They'll be like, okay, so yeah, I did great here, but here I'm struggling. Okay, and where does that lead the problem to be? And then let's go try to fix that and get a little win and then continue on and try um, try to do a little bit more. Yeah. As time goes on. Yeah. I really, I really think that's, that's a better answer than, you know, expecting, you know, a full outright, you know, super, uh, super bowl performance from these people when they return to work. Mm -hmm. Right. And I work with so many very high functioning executives, professionals, CEOs, uh, they they really have a bit another struggle in that they can't quite go back part time. Mm-hmm. But we have to carve out parts of the work they can do, and right. use it in that way to go back part time. So it it takes a lot of creativity on our part mm-hmm. to work with it too. Um, but I really think it's worth it in the long run for them. Oh, I I totally mm-hmm. agree. Yeah, and you. Uh, I see post-concussion patients um, uh, that struggle either with balance issues and hearing issues, but because someone struggles with a hearing issue does not necessarily mean they have a hearing loss. They may, Mm -hmm. secondary, and they may have tinnitus or tinnitus, secondary to their injury, but they Mm -hmm. may not. And I think that um, it's, it's, one of the areas where we, we, it's auditory processing disorder or acquired auditory processing disorder. And it's one of the areas that um, Dr. Skor and I have um, collided or met in the middle on, on several <laughs> patients. And um, this is really, it's interesting because um, I think in the, the, the area of auditory processing, and you can tell me from your perspective, Dr. Scora, but it's n- nobody really understands it because they test out normal in the beeps. You know, they raise their uh-huh. hand or they press the button when they're supposed to. But we've had high functioning executives, or as you mentioned, um, or professionals at the doctorate level um, who maybe can hear pitches and tones, Mm -hmm. but can't make out words. And especially when you add noise to that. And it's very difficult to explain to them and others, their colleagues, what's really going on. And it's interesting that um, when so much of what they do is auditorily based, Mm-hmm. that no one's really looking at this. Um, and, and of course, you know, well, their hearing was fine, so they must be fine. And 
we don't hear in our cochlea, we hear in our brain, and our brain had an injury. So why, you know, <laughs> why hasn't that, that connection been made? But, you know, you've seen it in your practice because you reached out to me at initially when this was when you had seen someone has struggling but you know how do you how do you address that in your practice when you're talking to someone and it's obvious that they're having difficulty in an auditory setting but they say well I hear just fine and you know it's it's not just difficult to to help the physicians or or the family to understand it. It's hard to help that individual understand yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. Be- because we so you're right. We so tie it to well, I hear the words. Well, okay, but do you understand? And can you follow the conversation? Mm-hmm. Um, no, when I get irritated. <laughs> okay, <laughs> well, maybe, maybe that's because you're not. You're really not staying with you. You can't any longer process what's being said. And there's. I don't know if you have run across this, but I tend to think some of it's ego at that point. Mm-hmm. To say we don't understand it really sh- challenges our view of ourself. And to go for the therapy and to take the time to do it, this is the hardest therapy I get a person to do. Mm-hmm. It, it just is. And it because, and I really believe it's because they don't understand it unless they do something that has helped. I have clients that have seen you that their lives have been turned around because of what they've what they've received. Mm-hmm. But trying to get a person to go and to stick with it from that group of people, others not so hard, but but from that high functioning person is very difficult. Right. And I, it's got to hit at the ego level for them. And I think, especially if they've been in the medical field at all, there is a strong belief, we can't change this, mm-hmm. that you had to have had it as a child, that it can't be acquired, and that nothing is going to help it. Mm-hmm. And it's frustrating to me professionally because I know that's not the truth. I know we can help people. We don't know how much for any professional. We don't know right. how how much we can improve their depression either. But there's tools. There's therapies. There's treatments. And it's also interesting that sometimes if I have their spouse come or we, we include their partner, mm-hmm. That seems to make a difference, I think, because their partner, once you explain it, all, all of a sudden what they're seeing in their loved one is explained and they get it. Right. Mm-hmm. More so at the beginning even than the person who who has the auditory processing difficulty. Yeah. Totally agree. Yeah, I've had times when explaining the results and then I said, this may manifest its way in this particular situation, and it may not, and then I'll give that situation a little, and the 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 spouse or the person that's next to will all go, oh my gosh, that just happened, you know, right? <laughs> and and I didn't know that. I just <laughs> these are some things that might happen, and then and oh yes, um, but they don't tie it. You're absolutely right. They don't tie it to the auditory system. Um, no. They tie it to oh they're just being lazy or. Um, you know, they don't, you know, I I think what I hear a lot too from 
the spouses is they're just they're just different than they were before the accident and they want them to be back to where they were prior to the accident and we may we may never get there right now yeah. right and the the piece for oftentimes i hear with with um partners also is he's he or she is just angry now mhm oh yes mhm where it's really oftentimes the auditory processing and their frustration with sitting at the dinner table and not being able to stay with the multiple conversations. Mm-hmm. It's it's really not anger, it's frustration, it's not understanding. Yeah. Um, and trying to get them help for that. But then I also heard you say that they often have different views of, of how far they can come back and mm-hmm. and they want them exactly who they were. Well, it's kind of like that ship has sailed. Mm-hmm. We need to help someone adjust and find out who they are today and, and become as much of what they need and want to be today. And that may shift a little bit. Um, if we can look at it more positively as we all change in different times of growth in our life, it may not be as traumatizing to a partner as they're not the same person that they were. Well, maybe they are very much so underneath, but they can't access that person. Right. Mm-hmm. And the work you do, the work I do, helps them access more of it. You got Susan thinking here. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I can see the wheels going. (laughs) Um, So it is, it is interesting how, how you were explaining how um, a referral over for auditory processing processing is different. It's difficult um, because of, you know, the lack of understanding and, and how the whole system works. Um, and in my experience, um, it goes the other way as well. <laughs> um, so, uh, so I'm like, okay, so I'm working with you and I'm noticing that this, you know, this type of anxiety or depression might really be um, causing your symptoms to aggravate you more. And so to, to refer to you um, as a psychotherapist, um, that is sometimes a difficult referral to do because patients sometimes are not willing um, to, to work on that aspect of their lives as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, so. Well, I think we tend to be the last ones people refer to. Yes. <laughs> and so they're also therapied out. You know, I think they've given up the that there really can be any improvement anywhere. And so they start giving up. And so if I'm going to, if I'm the last person that maybe is on the referral chain at that point from you, then because it took them forever to get to you from somebody, Mm -hmm. well then they don't want to try one more thing. Um, A lot of times I find, I don't know how long you find, but I find I'm looking at people a year and a half, two years into their injury. Yeah, because and especially right now, given what we had with the mm. with COVID, mm-hmm. therapies started later. They took you know it 
so people are getting to me later and later in their therapeutic process of recovery. So they're burned out. Yeah. And trying to help them find a way to just give it one try. Mm-hmm. You know, let's just give it one try and see, and you don't have to keep going. And oftentimes with that, it can it can help people be willing to see, okay, I'm not signing up for the next six months of my life. I'm just going to go in and, and try once. Mm-hmm. And that seems more doable. Mm-hmm. Um, or just go see her once and see if maybe there isn't some way she can evaluate the tinnitus and give you another idea. Um, just go once. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, just once. And, you know, maybe that's because... In my prior life, I had an Al-Anon background, but, you know, just go to one meeting. (laughs) Make it small enough, kind of those little, um, I think you called it a butterfly. Is that what you, or wings, um, Susan? From? In in the small incremental changes, so that... You know, okay. just right. go once, get, you know, just mm-hmm. go take one little trip there. Right. Mm-hmm. And then we can see, you know, do you want to go back or not? And that often helps people too, I think. But they are. We're the last two that they generally get referred to mm-hmm. and they're tired. Yeah. Yeah. And again, that learned helplessness is nothing I did took care of this problem, so nothing's going to help. Yeah. Yeah. Boy, that's on so many levels (laughs) (laughs) these days. (laughs) It is. But But I really see it in this area as well that, you know, if you've been working a year and a half or you've had this injury for, or you had a secondary injury, Mm -hmm. um, you've been trying to get well for a long period of time. And you've done really well at it. It's not... I guess I wish, if anything, people could hear. It's not their fault. There's still something there. Yeah. It's just so complicated with brain injury. There are so many levels of recovery. Mm-hmm. So many different areas of the of our being and behavior and ability that gets impacted. Mm-hmm. And so it takes that much more assistance from different fields in in really trying to recover as much as possible. Yeah, totally agree. So another thing that uh, we have noticed in our practice now is that um, during this, the lo- there was the lockdown and the second wave and the third wave. And I think we kind of alluded to this earlier, and that is, you know, people don't want to leave their homes anymore. Uh, like you, you had mentioned that self-isolation, that learned helplessness. Mm-hmm. Um, um, so their symptoms, as I mentioned, just escalate and escalate. And um, how have you addressed that in your practice? Um, how is it that you have um, worked with patients or clients to kind of get them to, like you said, maybe just little steps. Let's go to the grocery store. Let's go to Starbucks and get a coffee or, or whatever the case may be. Um, I don't know if, um, or come to my office versus, I don't know um, 
how you're doing your therapy, but how do you get them to consider just that one step? I look for something fun they want to do that they really miss. So if that's that they haven't seen their grandchild, Mm -hmm. um, I really work with them on, well, could we work towards having your daughter or son bring them to the park? Would you feel okay about trying it in the park? Mm -hmm. Okay, well, no, I don't really want to go to the park. Well, what if you wore a mask in the park? Would that help? You know, so finding the smallest increment that they need for a change, and almost always it's outside. Mm-hmm. Thank God it's not July right now. It gets <laughs> 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 even trickier. Yeah. But I, I go for the very smallest little thing because oftentimes when I'm working with people, going to the grocery store is way too much. Mm-hmm. So maybe it's it's that. And then if they, once we can get them to try that successfully, it was interesting. I I worked with someone and he was able to get to the park and he felt okay about it. And about two weeks later, I saw him and he'd already had all of his grandchildren over and their parents all at one time in the house and had lunch. Oh, wow. That's mm. wonderful. <laughs> it was a huge step. And I just went, you know, it's it's almost like unlocking that little part that says I can rather than I can't. Yeah, yeah. That's interesting because one of my, and I'm not going to speak for um, Susan, but one of the things I do with my patients is tell me one thing. What, what if, if I could accomplish one thing, what would that be for you? And they'd say, you know, I'd like to hear my grandchildren over the phone or I'd like oh. to hear um, uh, whatever the case may be. And um, I said, okay, that's what we're going to work on. Mm-hmm. And then we just work on that. And then when we we accomplish that, then we go, okay, now what, now what would you like to work on? But by then they are just like, whoa, let's try this. Let's try this. And it's, it's interesting. You're right. It, you just unlock the can instead of the can't. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I don't know about your, you, Susan, with your tinnitus patients, but yeah, one, you know, one little win, um, like, uh-huh. Oh, you know, instead of five hours of sleep last night, I got eight, <laughs> you know, <Yeah. laughs> um, makes a big difference in their life. Um, and you know, each, each little win, you know, makes them go, okay, I think I think I can let's let's try this now and let's try this now. So I think that is um, an important part of any kind of therapy. Yeah. Mhm. Absolutely. So there's a lot of um, kind of crossover, if you will, between what Dr. Sakura does and you do, Susan, with tinnitus patients and. Things that uh, probably other people don't think about. Um, so, like the you know the use of mindfulness and meditation and and that type of thing. Doctor Sakura, could you kind of address that as you use it in your practice? Sure, I use it probably in very similar ways to, um, to Susan. I tend to use it early in my 
and work with people because I'm trying to help them calm down first and feel like they have some control over their anxiety. But it also is a way to um, feel like they can set goals again because if they can quiet their mind, then they can start with little goals and, and begin to see some of it through. So I use anything from some of the apps, like the Calm app, um, some of the other meditative apps that I love right now. My favorite referral is Bedtime Stories for Adults on YouTube. Mm-hmm. I love that thing. <laughs> if you if you have someone who isn't sleeping, I I tried it out a number of times myself uh-huh. before I referred it to, because I do that with anything. Yeah. Um, so I listened to it one night, and I didn't wake up until noon the next day. Oh, wow. <laughs> I was very tired. It was during Christmas and <laughs> the whole holiday season. And I slept till noon the next day, threw an alarm, you name it. So so do, I will say, it puts you into a very deep sleep. Wow. Um, I'm going to have to try that. Used, yeah, when, when I've used it since then, it doesn't put me that deep down. But I think it was the level of my fatigue at that point. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's just such a comforting way to go to sleep. And I just heard an interview with Pink on um, one of the news shows this past week. That she, I think it was on their program that she had recorded a bedtime story for children. So, um, you know, there's all different types of bedtime stories on there. But the ones for adults are really more a deep meditative going to sleep and they use a lot of visualization in it. So that's one. I'll use something I try to teach the first time someone comes in, which is four, seven, eight breathing, which is breathing in to the count of four through your nose holding it to the count of seven and then releasing it to the count of eight and if you do that two or three times you're it's proven that you will bring your blood pressure down you will bring some of your respiration down so for panic attacks that may go alongside some of what we all deal with or anxiety attacks it's really helpful for that as well um so those types of things and then Often it's also in the mindfulness area, just paying attention to the one thing in front of them. What's the one thing in front of you? And let's not look at anything beyond that. So those are the three of the things I start with. Yes, and that's very, very similar <laughs> to what I do as well. Uh-huh. Um, I don't call it the four, seven, eight breathing. I call it the yoga breathing, but it's pretty much the same thing. Um, And the Calm app, and yes, um, and I'm aware of the bedtime stories as well. Um, Some of my patients have have tried that as well. (laughs) So um, very, very similar, um, except for the part where you said you have to quiet the mind. Well, their mind is not quiet for me, um, so I have to find other ways in addition to that to try to take that internal noise down um and maybe even when they're doing their mindfulness mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. to try to to try to make that therapy as as effective as possible um and doing that throughout the day and breathing and um i i really enjoy when somebody comes in with an apple watch now because it tells you <laughs> <laughs> um, several times a day to breathe um, <laughs> So I'm using that tool as well um, with them. 
I'm like, don't, don't ignore that. Do that. When it tells you to do that, go ahead and do it um, for a couple <laughs> minutes. So yes. And so that, in that respect, um, we, are, we are doing very similar things there in that area. <laughs> Well, this is, we've had some great information. Um, wow, that's great. I don't have an Apple Watch. Neither do I. Yeah. I think I need one of those with the, you know, electrical pulse. Breathe. <laughs> that's right. Well, I, I really want to thank you, uh, Dr. Sikora, for joining us today. It's been such a pleasure to have you uh, on and give us all this great information. Um, and is there anything else that you'd like to tell our listeners before we move on to our tips and tricks? Well, I think one is if you're calling somebody for help, please recognize their wait list is not forever. Mm-hmm. There, at least in my area, there are so few of us doing this work that are fully trained that it they get very discouraged and I, and I understand that and I have deep compassion for it. It's just, nobody's wait list is forever. Mm-hmm. You know, you, they do, they can get moved up. So just to instill a little bit of hope there, um, mm-hmm. so that they don't quit. And then secondly, I neglected to mention earlier when you asked about return to work, that there is something called the family medical leave act and the, Americans with Disabilities Acts, those two can often be triggered um, when someone's returning to work to give them more time and guarantee the, that their position will be held and give them time to work their way back. Oh, yes. Yeah. Very good information. Mm-hmm. Super. Well, great. Well, again, thank you so much for joining us today. And. Mm-hmm. Thank you for having me. I really yeah. appreciate it. Thank you so much. It was a, it was a great um, podcast and lots of good information. Yeah, yeah. And we hope to have you back. Okay. And thank you for what you're doing for not just my clients, but for all the many others that you help. Thank you. Thank you very much. And now, so we are moving to our tips and tricks um, segment. And... Um, Dr. Sikora, we're just wondering, um, do you have any quick little tips or tricks, um, you know, that you can share um, that would, you know, just help somebody out just, you know, thinking about, okay, I had a concussion or, um, or I'm struggling and I am confused. What, what do I do? What can I do? Well, my first is always that four, seven, eight breathing. Mm-hmm. Um, that would be the first one. And then find some some quote or some picture that gives you hope. There's a brain injury quote that says, people cry not because they're weak, it's because they've been strong too long. Mm. And that really spoke to a client I had. But find something like that that you can almost memorize like a mantra and hold on to it because you need something to hold on to besides your own strength at that point. Right. Oh, that's wonderful. Love that. So again, I'd like to thank Dr. Beth Sikora and all of you for joining us again today for this podcast. 
If you have any questions for us at ABHA, please post them on our Facebook page or email us at questions at Arizona, Arizona spelled out, balance.com. That's questions at ArizonaBalance.com. Also, don't forget to hit subscribe as we are always talking about different topics and you don't want to miss any of our future episodes. And for a free copy of Dr. Day's book, Re-Engage with Life and Family, visit our website, azbalanceandhearing.com. So Arizona is abbreviated this time, azbalanceandhearing.com. And just click the box, request a free copy. Or you can call our office at 602-265-9000 and request a free copy that way as well. Just tell one of our exceptional staff that you heard it on our podcast today. Remember, hearing care is health care, and treating your hearing loss is the number one modifiable risk factor for reducing your risk of developing dementia. Treating your hearing loss has been shown to reduce your risk of falls, decrease the experience of tinnitus, increase your social engagement, and decrease depression. Don't put it off any longer. I'd like to thank Robin, our producer, and Dave Pratt's Worldwide Networks for allowing us to record in this lovely studio. And again, thank you, Arizona Balance and Hearing, partnering with you to better balance, better hearing, better better life. life. Thank you for listening to the ABHA Listen and Learn podcast with Dr. Dana Day and Dr. Susan Schmidt. Join us next time as we discuss the latest issues related to hearing and balance health care. Plus, hear any of our past episodes on demand 24-7 on StarWorldWideNetworks.com or wherever you get your favorite podcasts.